Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them at the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us, as if by our power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and the Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him and has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you and anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, 
He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Thanks very much. Morning, my name is Josh. I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch. And please do keep open the Bible in Acts chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter this morning. So let's get ready for that. You might just want to take a moment um, while I update us on where we're up to. You might just want to take a moment to get yourself settled. Uh, make sure that uh, if your children are staying in with you, then um, they're going to be comfortable. And if uh, they're going to be occupied doing something else, then they're, they're sorted. Uh, so just take a moment to do that. While you do that, I'll just um, fill us in on where we're up to. We're looking at the book of Acts. Um, we're calling our series The New Normal because that expresses the fact that in the Bible and in the, the history of Christians, when the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts, it, he changes everything. And Christians from then on have a brand new normal. It's totally different to the world, totally different to how it was before. And that's what we're looking at. We've so far looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2. And we've seen a lot about how the church was started by Jesus, sent by Jesus, and equipped by, with his spirit to go and take a message of good news that Jesus is alive to the world. And last week we saw the type of community that that brings. Well, in today's passage we're going to see what happened next and how it was that the original Christians, the first Christians, and especially the apostles, had the Holy Spirit's help to actually authenticate the message and to explain to us what God is doing. Well, I hope by now that you're ready to begin. Uh, let's pray and then we'll come to Acts 3. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, you have sent your spirit to the church and you've given us your word in the Bible and you've given us Acts chapter 3. And we really want to hear your voice speaking this morning because we're here to hear from you. And we pray that in the words that I say, uh, the words that we hear, the words that we concentrate on and focus on, we pray that you will bring them alive, filled with your spirit so that we can grow to be the Christians and the church you would have us be. Please be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, people sometimes say some funny things, don't they? Uh, I don't know if you've ever been uh, somewhere where someone's spoken about a child, maybe their parent or an auntie or uncle, and they say something silly like, oh, they grow up so fast. Now, of course, what they mean in that context is that just three years ago, that little child was one year old and they were taking their first steps. And now, three years later, three years after being one, well, they're four. And that's taken us all by surprise. Now, maybe it's just the way I'm wired. Maybe I'm a bit pedantic, but I'm not sure that it's that much of a surprise that three years after turning one, you turn four. In fact, sometimes I like to say, well, I'm going to give you a prediction. They're four years old now. I predict, and you heard it here first, that in two years' time, they'll be six. Because I'm not really sure that it's something to be surprised about. We do say some funny things, don't we? We're, we're surprised about things that we really ought not to be surprised about at all. Now, I hope that doesn't sound like a petty rant. I'm not trying to get anything off my chest here, but simply to point out that we often are taken by surprise by something that should be completely obvious. Because that's what we see in today's passage. 
In the first part of Acts chapter 3, there's a man in his 40s who's never been able to walk in his life. And he's healed miraculously, so miraculously that he can not only walk, he can run and jump as well. And everyone sees this man and they express their astonishment and amazement. Uh, but curiously, in verse 12 of the passage, Peter says to them, you shouldn't be surprised by this. Now, I think that's a little bit harsh. Peter, I can think of many reasons why I'd be surprised to see a man I'd known for years unable to use his legs all of a sudden leaping around. But what Peter goes on to explain and what really the whole of this passage is all about is that God has a plan and a promise. And if these have really been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, well, then things have changed and God is doing something in the world, something that's restorative, something that's refreshing, something that involves his power meeting outsiders on the outside through his people. So this miracle isn't surprising. It's actually proof that that plan is going ahead. It's proof that Jesus is at the center. So as we look through the passage this morning, we're gonna see that it shows us that God is working. His plan has always been there. And we're gonna to hear today that God calls us to join in with what he's doing. He calls you if you've, if you've never even really identified with God or, or followed Jesus. Well, you are invited into God's unstoppable, amazing plan that he's at work doing in the world today. And he calls us as Christians and as a church to join in with what he's doing in the world. So let's have a look at Acts chapter three. And I'm gonna split it into four parts, each one looking at how we're being shown and invited into what God is doing in the world. So let's start off by looking at the miracle itself in verses one to 10, which is given to us as proof of the plan. Proof of the plan, verses one to 10. The miracle that happens to this man is clearly absolutely stunning and remarkable, but how it happens is fairly easy enough to follow. Peter and John, verse one, are on their way into the temple to pray. And there's a man being brought to the gate to beg. Now this wouldn't at all be uncommon. In fact, there's likely to be lots and lots of people at the various gates in Jerusalem at this time. Because in those days, a disabled person would have been considered in their culture to be uh, both useless and unclean. There'd be no work for him, so the normal thing to do would be to rely on charity. And where better to go than where the footfall is highest at the time that the footfall is highest? At the temple gates, at the time of prayer. So as you'd expect, as Peter and John walk past, the man asks them for money. And when they turn to him, he hopes they might give him something. And Peter then turns and effectively says, they don't have what the man wants, but what the man needs, restoration. Now, Peter knows, he'll explain this later, he knows he doesn't have the power in himself to heal, but he does know who does. He knows that Jesus has power and he knows that Jesus is still alive. He's alive and he's in heaven and he's ruling and he's active in the world. So he calls on Jesus. And in Jesus' name, giving Jesus the credit as an act of Jesus, the man is healed. It's a straightforward story. 
But there's more to it. Luke, our author, he's dropped in a few details to show what this miracle is all about. You see, in chapter 2, just the verses immediately before uh, this passage, Luke has said that the apostles have done many miracles. So we've got to ask ourselves, why is it that Luke has recorded this one? What is it about this one that Luke wants us to know? And it's because this really illustrates what God's plan for the world is that Peter will unpack for us later in the chapter. To illustrate that, Luke uses two pictures of contrasts. The first one is that he's keen that we don't miss the fact that the disabled man was placed to beg at a gate called Beautiful. He mentions it twice. Picture it, that the beautiful gate stands majestic and grand. It's not one of those that's just about big enough for everyone to go through. It's, it's like the ones at the cathedral. It is huge. It is high. It is tall. It's majest majestic and it's, it's breathtaking and it's awe-inspiring. It's, it's skillfully carved with intricate designs and it's artistically adorned. It's beautiful. But the irony that Luke wants us to see is that this monument to beauty and glory looms over a broken and rejected man. And what's more, it has no power to change or heal him. Now this particular miracle is chosen by Luke so that he can show that the disabled man here stands as a representative of the brokenness and helplessness of our world and to show that no human grandeur or glory or system or religion can ever or, or would even want to reach into and help. The man's condition is the result of the very first human being's rejection of God. That physical and emotional brokenness has become a thread that runs through every aspect of human existence ever since, as, as you and I well know. That effect is what we call the curse the bad things brought into the world because of sin. And it's got nothing really to do with this man. Luke wants to make that clear. He, he's definite about the fact that the man has been like this since birth. So we're not meant to read it that he's some sort of cursed wretch because he's worse than everyone else. No, he is like how he is simply because he's been born into a broken world. And just simply being born means you touch into the brokenness. That's the first contrast. The other picture of contrasts is where this restoration is going to come from. The man is sitting outside the temple, the very place where God's presence, all before then and at that time, was taken to be. If God was inside the temple, then, then surely if, if the man could only just get inside, if he could reach to God and plead with him for healing, if only somehow there was a way that he could, he could get inside and reach out to the heart of God to experience some blessing of being in his presence. But the big beautiful gate stays shut. He's stuck on the outside. The miracle comes to him from the outside. The truth that Luke's been showing us so far in Acts is proven here. The truth that actually now God's spirit has been poured out and his presence in the pillar of fire 
in the temple, well, it's no longer confined to the temple. We've seen the pillars split out and come to rest on, on all the Christians. And so the power of God to reach out and bless is not in the temple, but it's coming out. It's on the outside. It's to the stuck people on the outside. It comes to them. God is uncursing the world. He's lifting that curse off wherever his people are. He's restoring people to himself and he's redeeming human brokenness. Not by calling the people to come in to visit him in his temple, but by pouring himself to go out by his spirit through his people. That is the plan. That's what God was doing in the world right then. And that's what God is doing in the world right now. And this miracle is just a, it's an illustration of it. It proves it. That sounds brilliant. It's a great plan. We'll come back to that. But that is actually uncomfortable news to a lot of the people there at the time who would prefer the idea that you could keep God closed up inside and keep the broken out. And so the first thing that Peter stresses when he gets his opportunity to explain what's going on is that this miracle is part of an uncancellable plan. And that's from verses 11 to 16. It's an uncancellable plan. I'm sure you've heard of the idea of cancel culture. One entry in the Urban Dictionary describes cancel culture like this. A modern internet phenomenon where a person is ejected from influence or fame by questionable actions. It is caused by a critical mass of people who are quick to judge and slow to question. It is commonly caused by an accusation, whether that accusation has merit or not. It's a culture where you shut out what makes you uncomfortable or something you disagree with. And you get to live in your own comfortable reality where you set the narrative. And we, saw, we, we see this kind of thing happening in our world, just outside our doors, to lecturers or researchers or celebrities or commentators, people of influence or people in the public, where they express a certain controversial point of view that challenges the mainstream status quo. And what happens? They get ostracised and the message is, you no longer have a voice here. And slightly surprisingly, cancel culture is where Peter begins when he accounts for this amazing miracle of uncursing and restoring. Verse 11, he sees that people are amazed, but totally confused about how Peter and John now have this man in tow. This man who they know for a fact has never walked a step in his life. And here he is leaping and prancing about like a lamb in the spring. But Peter can't, can't just go ahead and explain it to them because they've already cancelled, or tried to cancel, the answer. Peter goes on the offensive in verses 12 to 15. Have a look at verses 12 to 15. When Peter said, saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we'd made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one 
and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Peter's saying, guys, if you knew Jesus, you would know that he's alive and working in the world and that he's bringing God's promised plan written about in scriptures long ago that he's going to go on to explain, written about back then of redeeming and restoring and uncursing the brokenness in the world as people are brought to him. But you don't know Jesus because you tried to cancel him. I mean, look again at that definition of cancel culture, a person ejected from influence by questionable actions. I suppose an illegal trial and a crucifixion would do that. A critical mass who are quick to judge. An accusation without merit. Fits pretty well. In fact, the laughable thing about that definition is that they think that this is a modern internet phenomenon. Well, I can assure you this has been going on for at least 2,000 years. You, says Peter, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. You disowned the holy and righteous one, the uncurser. The, the one sent by God in whom God's glorious uncursing plan culminates, you preferred to get rid of him and to take back a murderer, a bringer of death and darkness, so that you could stay in that state of curse. You killed the author of life. Think about that. The irony. You thought you could kill the author of life. Well, think again, God's plan is not cancelable, whether you like it or not. Peter says, the irony, you killed him, but, verse 15, God raised him from the dead. And it's certain, he says, we're, we're witnesses of this, eyewitnesses. They're going about telling people. Uh, there's the miracle to start with. The, the proof of a wonderful plan. Jesus is uncursing the world and bringing us to God. But there is a warning here in the re response of these people that if you're not okay with that, if you're not okay with God's plan of Jesus uncursing the world, well, even if you're not okay with it, you can't stop it. You could even try and kill him, but it's happening. It's worth stopping to consider for a moment why people might prefer the cursed world. Why it is that people weren't okay with this? I mean, this sounds like an amazing thing God is doing, right? We all love to see the man who couldn't walk, walk again. But here's the thing. The message of that miracle is that the beautiful can't heal the broken. The message of the miracle is that the broken man is met and restored but the beautiful is exposed. So do you see that this is only good news for the broken, for the rejected, the distanced, the sick and the sinful? But this is a message that confronts and exposes the, the grand and the beautiful. This is a message that upsets the status quo when you're comfortable and not listening to God, making up your own narrative, being the boss of your own life and cancelling what challenges you or makes you uncomfortable. It ruffles the feathers, it upsets the apple cart. And that's the thing with God's plan, you see. If you're getting on nicely behind your beautiful gate, if you're just quite happy keeping out the broken and cancelling out the confrontation, well, then you might not like God's plan. 
You might prefer it as it is. You might prefer a bringer of death and the author of life. And in the short term, you know, it probably will be easy enough for you to just cancel out and disown the holy and righteous one, to put Jesus to one side and forget about him. But know this, Peter's proclaiming that you could even kill Jesus, but he rises from the dead. The miracle is proof of that. And there's plenty more miracles going on in the book of Acts for us to get to that attest to the truth that what the apostles saw and spoke about was absolutely true. Because here's the warning, you might not be comfortable with Jesus, but God's plan is happening, no matter what. It's an uncancelable plan. That being the case, surely you might as well tune in. And that's our third thing this morning, tune into the plan. Tune into the plan. Verses 17 to 23. It's a real turnaround in these verses, having accused this crowd just a breath earlier of killing Jesus. That accusation turns into a stunning invitation. You see, the plan of God for the world isn't just lifting the burden of brokenness off the downtrodden. It's also lifting the burden of guilt off the guilty. Peter shows that that was God's plan all along. In verse 18, he makes a point that even Jesus' rejection and execution was foretold through all the prophets. That was always God's plan, to bring even the guilty and the wicked and the culpable to restoration. That's another side of God's plan, the, the wonderful side of God's plan, not only to lift the brokenness, but the guilt. And you know what? This is the call and invitation to us too, because God's plan was the plan black then. It was a plan promised through the prophets, and it is the plan for us right now. Whoever you are, whatever lies in your past, God calls you, verse 19, to repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's God's plan, but that's his invitation. Tune in, repent. Repent is a, is a deep and rich word that I don't think we always get the joy out of. One comment that was made in our Connect group this week is a really helpful comment that someone was reflecting that the sermon last week helped them uh, realise and remember that repentance wasn't a bad thing. And I was delighted to hear that because repenting is tuning into the plan. It's recognising that Jesus is the culmination of God's promises to uncurse the world and to set your hope on on the uncursing on the lifting of the burdens of the lifting of the guilt and to recognize that that brings freedom and glory and joy and so it means stepping into the freedom of being able to say that you are the broken one you are a guilty one you are a disowning one and having the burden of that lifted off you Trusting that it's Jesus, not you, who's going to cover over that guilt and bring you to God. So repenting is the path of having the burdens lifted off. Repenting is the path to refreshment. Sometimes as Christians, we can look at an invitation like verse 19, repent and turn to God. And we 
immediately start to, to process that language and think that that's the language of conversion. That's the language, the type of thing you say to someone who's not a Christian, who then becomes a Christian. We think, well, it's nothing to do with me. I've, I've, I've done that already a number of years ago, so I don't need to do anything else now. But when we take that attitude, we find that over weeks and months and years, well, we start to be anxious and guilty as if we never really did have our sins wiped away. We start to become stagnant as if times of refreshing weren't coming from the Lord. Take this on board. It is the business of every Christian to daily repent and turn to God. It is the joy of every Christian daily to repent and turn to God. And God uses his written record here in Acts chapter 3 to call Christians today, Christians today, into the joy of repentance. To call you to keep on doing what you were doing, put aside those, those hopes and dreams and loves, the idols that just disappoint you, and turn to God and set your hope in him. Come afresh to know at the cross your sins are wiped out and are no more. Come afresh to know that there is more righteousness in Jesus than there is sin in me. Come and know the burden lifting off and know the times of refreshing. Now I do take it that this is refreshment now, not looking forward when Jesus returns, because it's the type of refreshment we get when we're filled with the Spirit for the mission of God in the world. It's being formed by the Spirit into a spiritual and sacrificial and communal community. It's knowing the freedom of sins wiped out and the freedom from having to carry on that facade of the beautiful and having to keep on trying to keep the broken out instead of being one of them. Now, I imagine that the extra stresses of lockdown and a pandemic probably mean that we all feel a need of refreshment. So can I encourage you that the path of refreshment isn't to let those worries and stresses crowd out Jesus so we ignore him. The path of refreshment is repenting. Refreshment won't come from a vaccine or when lockdown lifts but refreshment comes from repenting and turning to God, seeing the good of his plan, glorying in his plan, and so leaving behind what was keeping us from loving him and enjoying that plan. So tune into the plan. And that was always the plan. Peter shows that, but includes a warning when he quotes from Moses in verses 22 and 23. He says, for Moses said, so he's pointing right back to very early on. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to him, to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Peter's pointing out that this plan of, uh, of Jesus was promised long ago. Jesus is that prophet that came after Moses and Jesus is the one to listen to. But the plan always was also that anyone not paying attention to him, anyone who wants to carry on cancelling him, well, 
that's the way to be cut off. Now there's quite an incredible thing going on just in this short passage that Peter has begun saying to the crowd, you killed Jesus, but you can be forgiven. Even if you've done the worst possible thing, God's grace reaches out to you. Become one of the broken ones and God will touch you and lift your sin off you, wipe it out. There's restoration and forgiveness. But now you know that, you're not ignorant. So you've got a decision because if you go on refusing to listen to Jesus, well, God's plan has been from the beginning that people like that always have nothing to do with God. Go on rejecting Jesus and that hope of restoration is gone. Go on rejecting Jesus and the guilt piles up. So repent. Come, come and be a broken one with one of us. Listen to Jesus. Put your hope in him. Because when people do that, something even more wonderful happens with God's plan. And that's our fourth thing, is that this uncursing plan cascades down, out from us to the, the whole world. As Peter finishes off this section in verses 24 to 26, showing that the plan is for worldwide blessing. The plan is for worldwide blessing. In verses 24 to 26, Peter goes even further back in these verses. He quotes bits from right at the start of the Bible that reveals God's first intentions with his plan for uncursing. Peter shows that right from the beginning, the prophets foretold that days like this would come. The days where God comes out to uncurse the broken. Days where faith in the name of the promised one and repentance would lift off every burden. And days, he says, where the uncursing would cascade down from God's people into every people group in the world. So he quotes one of God's first promises to a man called Abraham. Verse 25, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Think of God's plan like this. Uh, think of uh, a uh, champagne fountain, champagne kind of pyramid, all the glasses stacked on top of each other. Uh, I have to confess, every single party I've ever been to has been way too modest to ever have one of them in there. But, you know, I've seen them on, on films and on TV. I'm sure you know what I mean. And that the host opens a bottle of the finest champagne and they pour it into the top glass. Now, they're not pouring their champagne into the top glass so that the top glass gets filled and one person gets to have a drink. But they keep on pouring and pouring and pouring so that it overflows from the top glass onto the next level. It cascades down to the next and the next and the next level. The point of filling the top glass is so that every subsequent level can be filled with good stuff. And that is God's plan for the world. The uncursing of the world began with promises like this to Abraham. But from Abraham they overflowed, spilled over and reached their climax in Jesus. Now Jesus overflows the spirit to his people and when people are filled with God's spirit and they repent in faith, well then uncursing starts to overflow and overflow and overflow from them, past the sides and reaches the whole world. As the church lives out the spirit-filled life and speaks out the message of God's uncursing plan. And that was always the plan, and that is the plan going forward from now. That's the plan for the church. Imagine 
Imagine if we saw ourselves like that. Imagine if that's what our church was. Theologically, it is. Imagine if that's what we believed we were coming into every week. That we are people who rejoice in the uncursing that Jesus has bought. We rejoice in the forgiveness of sins and spiritual refreshing. And then we see that overflowing out over the sides as others see. And then they're amazed and they're surprised at what God's plan was all along. And we get to tell them, well, that God had a plan. It's completed in Jesus and he will complete it. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you've had a plan. A plan for the world. Thank you that we get to benefit from Jesus where we are now. Thank you so much that your plan went to the apostles and your spirit was with them and they told others and we've gotten to hear about Jesus and that we've experienced some measure of uncursing as the burdens of brokenness and guilt are lifted off us. Thank you so much that that is who we are now and you've given us your spirit. Lord, we really want to be people who overflow so that we can tell people Jesus has done it all. This was the plan and it is the plan. Lord, thank you that we get to play our part in that plan. And thank you so much that we get to enjoy that. We pray, Lord, that we, we wouldn't pass it by, that we, we would repent. We pray, Lord, that we would so love the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us, that we would simply want to, to shake off all the things that we did wrong in the past, because we can see a, a much brighter and beautiful plan. Lord, we pray that you'd grant us, every one of us, true and deep repentance. And we pray that that would be the source of our joy, not what we've done in repenting, but that we, in repenting, have turned to Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we'd experience those times of refreshing that you've said. Lord, we don't want to be people who cancel, who, who have seen the truth, but who want nothing to do with it, Lord. We want to be a people who turn to you and know refreshment. And we pray that that would be our vision for who we are as individuals and as a church, that we'd be playing our part in the cascading blessing, that we would see more and more uncursing as we share the message of Jesus to the world. And so we ask for your spirit to do that work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.